You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Good morning, Grace Point Church Northwest. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor of preaching and theology here at Grace Point Church. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, feel free to download the YouVersion app. All you have to do is type in Grace Point Church Northwest in events, and that'll help you be able to follow along as we go along. Also, if this is your first time with us this morning, I want to be the first to welcome you. We want you to know that Grace Point Church Northwest is a place where anyone can come as they are, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, to discover and strengthen a relationship with Jesus. And we're so glad you're tuning in this morning. All we're going to ask you to do is to pull out your phone and text the number below. Text the word welcome to that number below. And that'll keep you in the know of all things taking place at Grace Point Church Northwest as we live this season online and as we regather together again soon. I'd like to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We just thank you so much for your love and your grace, and we just thank you that you just give it to us so unconditionally through your son, Jesus. And I just pray, Father, that right now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. I pray, Jesus, that you are lifted up and that you will draw all people to yourself right now as your word is preached. And I just thank you just for the the gift that you have given us to be called your sons and your daughters, uh, Father, and just thank you for that. I love you, Jesus, and I just pray right now that your word goes forth and that it rests on our hearts as you see fit for your glory, our joy, and for the good of our community. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Now this morning we're going to continue in our teaching series through the book of Philippians called Unshakable Joy. And this morning we're going to see that there is joy in Jesus alone. There is not joy in Jesus plus something, but there is joy in Jesus plus nothing. And that equals absolute joy. And the question that you have to ask is just simply this, is Jesus enough? You see, many years ago, I went down to visit my parents in Phoenix, and as I showed up, my dad was there, and he had this blue tub in his hands, and he handed it to me, and he said, this is yours. Now, I had been out of the house for about four years, and I guess I had left some stuff there, and so my father got tired of moving it from house to house and from Kentucky to Arizona. Now, when I opened up that box, I saw that within the box were things that I used to treasure, things that that I used to find absolute joy in. I opened it up to see my high school soccer jersey. I wore number eight. And I can remember in high school having absolute joy in practicing with my teammates and playing in games. I then discovered that here is my trophy. That one of the things that brought me absolute joy was winning trophies and having my name in the paper. And you can see in 1997, I made the all-soccer team. Just bragging right now, right? As I continued to open that box, I noticed that this was in there. Now, this is one of my favorite things. It's Little Penny. And if you don't know who Little Penny is, he still works. Yeah, this is Anthony Hardaway. And when I was a kid, I dreamed of playing ball, playing point guard like Anthony Hardaway. So I had Little Penny. Now, I also had within there the Kentucky basketball yearbook from 1996. That's the year we won a championship. And I had baseball cards. And I can tell you as a kid, I absolutely loved going to the store and buying Topps baseball cards and Pinnacle baseball cards. However, everything in that box didn't necessarily pertain to sports. There were pictures in that box of family vacations and stuff like that. And then I noticed within that box there were report cards. 
from when I was a kid all the way through high school. And I can tell you this, I treasured good grades when I was younger than when I was older. As I looked at these things, I was excited at first, but then I realized something. That these were the things that I treasured for about 20 years of my life. And guess what? Everything I treasured for about 20 years of my life could fit in a blue tub. As I looked at these things, I was thankful for the memories, but I noticed there was a problem. The joy was gone. Why? Because it was only a memory. Today, Paul is going to share with us the joy that is everlasting. And this joy isn't found in Jesus plus your trophies, Jesus plus your comfort, or Jesus plus your success. This joy is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So look with me in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 1. This is what we read. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, Paul is making a transition in this letter. And what does he say? Brothers, sisters, family, listen up. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul has already told us this, and he tells us very clearly here, it is no trouble to write the same things again. Why is that? It's because you and I, we learn through repetition. How many times have we had Oscar the Grouch, or maybe even Elmo, share the alphabet song with us? We know that A means Annie, B means Bert, C means Cookie Monster, and D means what? Dessert. You see, Paul is no different. No less than four times in the first two chapters does he tell us to rejoice in the Lord. He absolutely loves talking about this, and he doesn't mind telling us over and over and over again. But the question is, why does Paul feel it necessary to tell you and me over and over and over again to rejoice in the Lord? Well, think about it. It's because whatever we rejoice in is going to set the trajectory and actions for our life. And whatever you and I celebrate oftentimes gets repeated in our lives, for good or for ill. For example, how did you teach your children to use the bathroom? If you were like me growing up, my parents used Cheerios and M&Ms. And anytime I used the bathroom, they would give me an M&M. And this past week, I was thinking, my parents owe me about 38 years of M&Ms because I've never stopped using the toilet. But why did you use the toilet? Why do I use the toilet? It's because people celebrated that. And the question you have to ask yourself is this, what do you rejoice in? What do you celebrate? What do you treasure? And where is it leading you? Many of us, we tend to celebrate being number one or winning. And if you celebrate being number one, if you celebrate winning, guess what you have to do all the time? You have to be number one, you have to win. Some of you know that one of my favorite movies of all time is Cool Runnings. It's about the Jamaican bobsled team, the very first one. In the movie, you got a character named Coach Irv who's played by John Candy. Now, Coach Irv, when he was in the Olympics, was the driver for the U.S. bobsled team. However, he cheated. He put weights in the front of the bobsled and he cheated, bringing shame upon himself, upon his team, and upon his nation. As the movie progresses, Doris, who is the bobsled driver for the Jamaican team, looks at Coach Irv and he wants to ask him why he cheated. Listen to this dialogue. Doris, hey coach. Irv, Coach Irv, yeah, Darice, I have to ask you a question. Irv, sure, Darice, but you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I mean, I want you to, but if you can't, I understand. Coach Irv, you want to know why I cheated, right? Darice, yes, I do. Now listen to what Coach Irv says. That's a fair question. It's quite simple, really. I had to win. You see, Darice, I had to make, I had made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you have to keep on winning no matter what. You understand that? Darice, no, I don't understand. 
You won two gold medals. You had it all. Coach Irv, Derice, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without one, then you'll never be enough with one. Do you see why Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord? Many of us, if we're honest, we're living for celebrating victories that don't last, that can be lost. Think back to that toilet, right? There is going to be a day when you and I are older and we are not going to make it to the toilet. It's not a lasting victory. Yet the only victory that truly matters or brings joy is what Jesus has done through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. That victory cannot be lost. That victory cannot be topped. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, because Jesus plus nothing equals joy. Some of us, though, we don't rejoice in winning, but we rejoice in making a name for ourselves and trying to be somebody. And how futile is that? I mean, didn't we talk about this a few weeks ago? where the teachers, there were some teachers that were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry with Paul, trying to build a platform for themselves, only to find out that that was an empty glory, that was a fading glory. Think about it. Who won the Super Bowl two years ago? Who won the Super Bowl three years ago? Who was the time person of the year in 2017? And who holds the record for making the largest rubber band ball? You want to know the answer? I don't know. And here's the point. Nobody knows. Why? Because it's a fading glory. Count Zendendorf was a bishop of the Moravian Church. And you know what he said his ambition in life was? To preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. His ambition, his treasure, what he rejoiced in was just preaching the gospel, dying, and being forgotten. However, you know what is ironic? We remember that he said it. His ambition in life was not build, to build his platform, but rather his ambition in life was to make much of Jesus. Yet you and I tend to remember the Apostle Pauls, the John the Baptist, the Augustines, the Billy Grahams, the C.S. Lewis's, the Mother Teresa's, the Lottie Moons, and the Johnny Erickson Tata's. We remember them. Why? Not because they made much of themselves, but rather because they spent their entire lives trying to make much of Jesus. That is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, because Jesus plus nothing equals joy. Now, Paul doesn't command you and me to rejoice. He knows that you and I, we are rejoicing people. We rejoice in our accomplishments, our popularity, and more. And as we just saw, there is absolutely zero joy in trying to make much of ourselves. That's why Paul says he's delighted to tell us again to rejoice in the Lord. But what does that look like? Well, look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul tells us to watch out for the dogs, and when we tend to think of dogs, we think of like household pets. Yet what Paul is referring to is not to our domesticated household animals, but rather he's referring to something more like the coyotes that people keep posting on my Ring app. These dogs were considered nasty, unclean, and dangerous. And the Jews referred to people who are outside the people of God, the Gentiles, people like you and me, they refer to them as dogs. Yet Paul doesn't refer to Gentiles as dogs here. Who does he refer to? Those who mutilate the flesh. Now, what does that mean? In the church in Philippi, there were some people who are basically saying, you got Jesus, that's great, but Jesus isn't enough. If you want to be assured of your salvation, if you want to be assured of your relationship with God, here's what you have to do. You have to first become Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to start to follow the Mosaic laws. And if you do those, add Jesus on, then you should have confidence. 
Yet what does Paul say here? He says that those who try to add something onto Jesus, they're, they're dogs. They're not of the people of God, but they're outside the people of God. The people in this church were basically saying Jesus plus nothing wasn't enough. You need Jesus plus Judaism. You need Jesus plus your good works. And that's why Paul is so emphatic to make this point that you and I are to rejoice in Jesus, period. That's it. He is enough. We don't rejoice in Jesus plus our winning, Jesus plus our popularity, Jesus plus our good works. We don't boast in ourselves, but rather we rejoice in, boast in, and celebrate in Jesus. Because Jesus plus nothing equals joy. Friends, you have to hear me clearly. It is so easy for you and I to be lured into adding on our good works. And that's why Paul says to watch out. Watch out for those who say, Jesus isn't enough. Watch out for those who say, you need Jesus plus your good works. When I was a youth pastor, I had some students come up to me after one of the youth services and they said, hey, can we talk to you? And so later that week, we went out and grabbed coffee and I remember asking them, what do you guys want to talk about? And with that, these three young men looked at me and they said, we want to do what you do. And I said, well, what is it that I do that you want to do? And they said, we want to get on a stage like you. We want crowds to follow us like you. We want to have influence like you. And I remember as I heard that, I was absolutely crushed. I looked at these three young men and I just pleaded with them, don't follow me. Don't lust after my platform. Rather, trust in Jesus and trust in Jesus alone. You see, these men, these young men, they wanted Jesus, not for Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could do for them. And what did they want? Popularity. You see, it is possible for you and I to do the right thing for the wrong reason. You can give someone food, but really be feeding your ego. You can give somebody a blanket in order to warm your own pride. That's why Paul says, and you got to hear me, there is zero joy in that. Paul tells us that he lived the Jesus plus Judaism game. He lived the Jesus plus good works game. And he didn't find joy, but what did he find? He found rubbish. He found just, like, just, he, he basically just found nothing. Nothing at all. Listen to what he says in verses 3 through 6. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I would encourage you to underline that. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason, reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Those who are saying Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus your good works are probably boasting in their credentials. That's why Paul looks at him and says, you want some credentials? Well, check this out. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an eighth dayer, if you will. I'm no convert later in life to Judaism. Genesis 17 verse 12 says that all Jewish males were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Those who became Jewish later in life, they were circumcised when they were older. However, Paul says he has the right ritual, if you will, and he's had that right ritual since infancy. Paul not only had the right ritual, but he also had the right relationship. He says, not only am I an eighth dayer, but I've got the right family. 
I am from the race of Israel. I'm ethnically Jewish. But not only that, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, who is somebody within Israel's history that is really famous that is from the tribe of Benjamin? The first king of Israel, King Saul. And not only that, but Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, is only one of two tribes that never, ever was disloyal to the Davidic rule. Paul looks at them and he says, I am the real deal. I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. If you look at my 23andMe record, if you look at my Ancestry.com, you'll find nothing wrong. It's pure. I've got the right ritual. I got the right relationships. But then he also says, I fulfilled the right requirements. Paul looks at them and he says, I'm not just an eighth dayer. I'm not just from the right family. I am blameless according to the works of the law. Think about it. Paul was a teacher in Israel. He was a Pharisee. And he basically says here that he is on the honor roll of the moral report card. He is the type of kid you put on the back of your, your car, the bumper sticker saying, I'm proud of my honor roll student. That's who Paul is. He not only obeyed and strived to obey the 613 laws of the Old Testament, he also taught other people to adhere to them and to follow them. He would put hedges around the law, kind of like a fence, so that people wouldn't actually break the law. And so he would say, for instance, like on the Sabbath, if the Sabbath says to do no work, Paul would say, well, here's a certain number of steps that you, you should stay within. Because if you go over those certain number of steps, guess what? You're breaking the law, right? You could possibly break the law. That's who Paul is. And what does he say about all of his credentials? There's absolutely zero confidence in any of it. Why? Jesus plus nothing equals joy. It's not Jesus plus the right ritual. It's not Jesus plus the right relationships. It's not even Jesus plus the right requirements. And Paul says that those who live, uh, who follow Jesus, who know Jesus, they live by the Spirit. And how do you know you're living by the Spirit? Well, let me just ask you a question. What are you basing your relationship with God on? Are you boasting in your accomplishments? Or are you boasting in the fact that you have the right ritual, that you have the right relationship, or you fulfilled the right requirements? Or are you boasting in Jesus alone? I've had people come up to me and say, Travis, I was baptized as a baby, or I was baptized when I was in high school. I'm good. They thought they had the right, relation, or the right ritual. I've had other people come up to me and say, Travis, I, I was adopted into a Christian family. Doesn't that make me a Christian? I remember a woman telling me that. She thought she had the right relationship. I had another young man come up to me and say, so, so you're telling me I grew up in church. I've been going to church since I was a kid. I've given money. I've served. I have not slept around. And you're telling me that's not what makes me a Christian? You see, he thought he had the right requirements, the right works. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. These are good things. These are even God-honoring things. But they're not saving things. What these things are are the fruit, but they are not the root of being a part of God's family. You see, Paul says to be a part of God's family, you worship by the Spirit, you serve by the Spirit, and you glorify in Jesus alone. Paul writes in another letter that as Christians, you and I are not saved by what we do, but by what God has done. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice the order here. What comes first? 
grace and faith. And what comes second? Works that we are to walk in. You can strive to have the right ritual. You can strive to have the right relationships. And you can strive to fulfill the requirements better than Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. But you have to hear me. If you and I do anything to earn that which Jesus has come to give, there's no joy. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals joy. A relationship with Jesus, guys, is going to change you. Absolutely, we are a church where anyone can come as they are, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, to discover and strengthen a relationship with Jesus. But what you have to understand is that Jesus loves you enough not to leave you there. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor John taught on this text that I'm about to read. He did a masterful job. But listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working at the deepest levels of who we are. He's putting within us new desires and new affections. And by the Spirit's power, Jesus is equipping us to do what? To work out what God works in. I believe it was Dallas Willard who once said that grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And by the power of the Spirit, you and I work out what He works in. However, you and I can never change ourselves to be worthy or to earn a relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't want us to miss this, and he uses some pretty aggressive language in these final verses to make his point. Listen to how he finishes, finishes up. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Underline that. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means, possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul literally says that his works, that his accomplishments are what? Rubbish and compared to what? Knowing Christ. And we cannot miss the force that Paul is trying to use here to make this point. The term that Paul uses is sometimes used to refer to human or animal excrement. Not to sound crass, but Paul says that he literally considers Everything in his life before Jesus is dog crap compared to knowing Jesus. If you want to hear my kids groan, if you want to hear me groan, just tell me to go in the backyard and pick up the dog poop. Why? It's disgusting. And that's Paul's reaction when he considers his life before Jesus. He groans in disgust at the thought that he could earn a relationship with God through adhering to the right ritual, to adhering to the right relationships, or trying to fulfill the right requirements in his own power to earn that which God has given. Yet in verse 9, he tells us what his joy and his treasure is. It's in Jesus plus nothing. Paul says that he is found in who? He's found in Christ. And being found in Jesus, he has a righteousness before God that is not a result of what he did, but a result of what Jesus has done. 
In another letter, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again with the right and give you the pronouns. What does it say? For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become what? The righteousness of God. On the cross, a great exchange took place where Jesus' perfect life was credited to the account of all those who believe in him. And the sinful life of all those who believe in him was credited to Jesus' account, where he died on the cross, not just for them, but instead of them. And Paul says that Jesus received the punishment, though he never sinned. And then check this out. We receive his perfect life, though we don't deserve it. So many of us, when we think of a relationship with Jesus, we think about it like a test. And a friend of mine used to explain it like this, that so many people think that they take this test, they fail, big red F is put on, on the top, a bunch of X's, and we take our test to Jesus, and here's what Jesus does. And this is not true, but the, it is true, but it's, it's more than this. Here's what Jesus does. He takes his eraser, and he erases all our wrong answers, and he says, here, try again. That is not what Paul is talking about here. That would take us back to the original state of Adam and Eve, if you will, and how did it work out for them? Rather, what happens is, is that you and I have a bad test. We got a big F on our paper. We take that over to Jesus, and here's what Jesus does. He takes out a new test. He writes in all the right answers. He puts our name at the top, and then he puts his name in place of our name on our failed test. You've got to hear this. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see you. The moment you trust in God or trust in Jesus, he doesn't just see you as if you've never sinned. But God also looks upon you and he sees you as if you've always obeyed. You have the righteousness, the perfect life of Jesus gifted into your account. If all Jesus had to do was just die, what was that 33 years about, right? But Jesus lived perfectly fulfilling all righteousness, and then he gifts that to you so that the smile of God is upon you because he sees the righteous you clothed in the righteousness of his son. That is why Jesus plus nothing equals joy. So how does a person receive this? Well, Paul told us we receive it by faith. It's not Jesus plus your religious attendance. It's not Jesus plus your perfect record. Jesus plus your race or Jesus plus your good deeds. So many of us tend to view our relationship with Jesus kind of like scales, with Mother Teresa on one side and maybe somebody like Ted Bundy on the other. And recently I was in a conversation with somebody who called into the church. It was a woman. She was lonely. She just wanted to talk to somebody. And in the conversation, she said, I'm not perfect. I'm no saint, but I'm also no murderer. Murderers don't make it into heaven. As I was on the phone with her, I just paused for a second. And I said, I don't know if that's necessarily true. With that, I told her about King David and Moses, who wrote a significant portion of the Old Testament. Both of them had murdered somebody. I then told her about the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, and how Paul oversaw the murder of people. I told her, it's not what you do or don't do that gets you into heaven. It's rather who you're placing your faith and trust in. And that Jesus has come to save not only those who have done really well, right? Those who think they have it all together, though they don't. Jesus has come to save the ones we, are, we think are unsavable. And I said, and if you read about those men, you'll see that their relationship with God changed them. And they lived their lives for the glory of God. 
throughout the entire conversation, all she just kept saying over and over again was, oh, that's really good, that's really good, that's really good. Several years ago, I found myself on a bus with a guy from a, uh, a different religion. And as we were driving around, he said, hey, will you just share the story with me of how you started following Jesus? And when I did, he just said, man, that's a beautiful story. He said, all religions are kind of like with God on top of a mountain and different roads going up to God. Oh, that's what the religions are. And he said, my friend, you chose a very beautiful road. I looked back at him and I said, I don't find that necessarily convincing. Sure, maybe God is on top of the mountain, but I didn't take a road to get up to God, but rather, what did God do? He came down the mountain in the person of Jesus and he picked me up and he carried me back to himself without me even taking a step. That is what it means to have faith in Jesus. It is to place the totality of your weight upon what he has done through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. It is to place all your weight on him that if he was to stumble, though he never will, guess what? You would stumble too. As Jesus carries us, you are going to be Lord, and to possibly saying to Jesus, hey, thanks a lot, Jesus. You've carried me this far, but guess what? My good works, I think my good works can take it from here. Maybe you would say, oh, I think my right relationships will take it from here. But what does Paul say? Watch out for that. Watch out for those who say Jesus isn't enough. Why? Because Jesus plus nothing equals joy. So what's the main goal of your life? What are you pulling out of that box? And will it last? If it's anything other than Jesus, guys, there's no joy. Paul says that the main business in life is to know Christ. And when you and I know Christ, everything else will be put in its proper place. And because Paul knows Jesus and that through Jesus, he knows that he will rise again. That means that no matter what befalls him in this life, it's not ultimately determinative. Why? Jesus rose again. And because he, Paul is found in him, guess what? Paul knows he will rise again. Jesus suffered. Paul knows he will suffer. And because Jesus rose again, he will rise again. That is why whether Paul lives to see Jesus comes back or if he dies in service to Jesus, it's no matter why Jesus conquered death. That is why Jesus plus nothing equals joy. Do you know Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and just ask you to work in our hearts and our lives. We know, as the old hymn says, that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so I pray, Father, that as we go through this week, as we go through this time, that Jesus, you just become bigger in our lives. Help us to love you, to walk with you, to learn from you, and to share you with those around us. I pray that this is the warm blanket that covers our soul. That Christ, you just warm our hearts with your love. Do this, God, for your glory and our joy. We pray all this in your name. Amen.